0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Delighted to have you joining us. And so excited to once again introduce the brand new home of Explore the Space on the internet. The URL is the same, www.explorethespaceshow.com, but the website has been totally rebuilt, and I just could not be happier for the new home of this show. We've been doing the show now since 2015. The archive, this is our 81st episode. We have an archive of 81 episodes now, and over the course of the last several years of doing the show, the material that we've been able to compile, the incredible array of guests that we've had, the conversations that have taken place, have really sort of distilled themselves out and we really are out of the interface of healthcare and society on this show. We are bringing in thought leaders from all across that spectrum to learn lessons, to gain insights, and to just help improve our sort of understanding of what is happening in that space between people who need healthcare and those who try to provide healthcare. The archive of shows and the themes that have cropped up have really distilled themselves out into four separate pillars. And we have created this concept of the four pillars for Explore the Space. There's illness and recovery. There's leadership and culture. There's innovation and education. And there's the mental and physical edge. Every episode is categorized into one of the pillars. Some of the episodes go into two of them. It really just depends on what comes up in those episodes. But it's given us a great way to kind of start to compartmentalize this stuff when you come to the site now you can see what's there you can look a little bit more specifically and find things that are really interesting to you or dive into something that's totally new and find some really amazing insights some really amazing content some really really fun stuff we've put together a resources page this is where we're going to keep a record and a great archive of all of the websites and books articles important things that come up in these shows so we'll always have them to go back to we've got a blog and that's going to be coming slow but it's going to be coming i'm really excited about it i love writing it's going to be fun to create more written content there as well we've put together a press page which is a collection of the various opportunities i've had to go on other podcasts some articles have been written about explore the space and a couple of things that i've been able to write as well really just could not be happier to have this incredible new home for the show And really excited to have you come and take a look around and see what's there and spend a little bit of time looking at the website and seeing all the great work that's been happening. This show doesn't exist without the incredible listeners that we have. And I know that there is a really strong foothold and a really powerful cohort of people who really enjoy the show, who come back for more. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I recognize everybody's time is short and we work really hard to create top-notch content and have really first-rate guests. I would love to connect with you. If you've been listening to the show or if this is the first time you've listened, please email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I would love to connect the email, hear about what resonates with you, things you want to hear more of, if there's things we could be doing differently, where you live, the challenges you're facing, all of that sort of stuff. I would love to be able to connect with the listeners, connect with the audience for this show and really try to gear it so that we're giving you what you want, getting the content that you really want to hear. And if you have the chance to go to itunes or spotify or stitcher or google podcast and leave us a rating and a review that really helps the show out it bolsters our visibility on those platforms so it helps people find explore the space that much faster we're active on social media as well you can find us on twitter at ets show and that's really where we're doing the bulk of our work but we'll be building out our content on instagram and facebook as well so there's lots of places to find us in this specific episode, this was a lot of fun. Episode 81 is with Dr. Nina Shapiro. She's a professor of pediatric otolaryngology at UCLA, which happens to be my alma mater. So in addition to her having just a fantastic last name, she's practicing medicine where I went to undergrad in a school that I was very near and dear to my heart. This was a fantastic conversation. Dr. Shapiro has really built a fantastic career aside from her world-renowned clinical work Doing exactly what we sort of try to do here, conversations with people who have an interest in specific medical topics and being forward-facing across a whole bunch of media platforms to help educate the public on things that they're interested in. She's in the middle of a book tour for her book called Hype, and we spend a fair amount of time talking about the book and things that have come up around it and challenging questions and ways we can communicate and things that we can all be doing better this episode, we're going to we're gonna compartmentalize in the pillar that we have here of the four pillars of the innovation and education. So that's kind of where to live as well as being in the main archive. One thing I will say as you listen to the episode, at one point, you're going to hear a helicopter fly over. And I've actually made the intentional decision to leave that in. I did not edit that sound out. And the reason for that is that is a helicopter that was flying over my home in Sonoma County to head out to fight the campfire in Butte County, California. The campfire at this point is the most devastating wildfire in the history of California, and it is still burning as I'm recording this. It's just, it's hard to believe this is all happening again. It was just a year ago that we were dealing with the Tubbs fire in my hometown of Santa Rosa, and now we are once again dealing with wildfires, unfortunately, all over the state of California. Uh, I would ask you if you are looking for more information about these fires, Lizzie Johnson who is our guest in episode 78 she's a reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle she is up in Butte County, she is reporting from the front lines and she is delivering just the highest quality journalism there's a real sense of empathy as this tragedy continues to unfold as well as just outstanding reporting to make sure that the facts of what's happening up there are, are made really forward facing and she's definitely worth following on social media she's on Twitter at Lizzie Johnson with three N's this episode, episode 81 with Nina Shapiro, is a wide ranging conversation. It's fun, and I just had such a great time talking with her. She is doing such great work, both clinically and in the work that she's doing with her book, Hype. It's just a fabulous conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And once again, welcome to our new website. And without further ado, Dr. Nina Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro, welcome to Explore the Space.
1: Thanks. Great to be here.
0: I'm smiling. It's so much fun to have a Dr. Shapiro on the show with me. This is actually very cool.
1: We're everywhere.
0: (laughs) We are. We are. It's especially great. You're at UCLA. That's my alma mater. I was very excited to send you my Skype handle, which is Shat Bruin. I was like, this is just, this is too good. This is too much fun. It was destiny that you would come on the show.
1: Well, that just means I can't get that Skype
0: handle. This is really <laughs> that's right, that's me right,
1: right now. <laughs> <'Cause I was laughs> that's just, right. So wait a second. I've, that should be me.
0: I've been cyber squatting on Shat Brew and just waiting for today. <laughs> well, good. This is there wonderful. It is. And this is, it's a great opportunity for us to talk because you have, in addition to being a professor of surgery at UCLA and being the head of pediatric otolaryngology doing ear, nose, and throat surgery on kids... You have put yourself in a very interesting position where your expertise, your interest in engaging with the public sphere, with interfacing with society while you're a doc, has put you in a position to help people to navigate a lot of really challenging questions. And it feels like it's really culminated in this wonderful book that you've written, which is called Hype. And so I want to start from the beginning. What helped you go from... All of the rigors that come from being a surgery, being an academics, trying to have an outside life, to also say, you know what, the corner for a physician who can calmly, rationally, and thoughtfully try to educate the public on topics that they are interested in, I'm going to try and get on that corner and do that work. How does that journey even start?
1: Well, you know, it's a great question, and I've gotten that question not po- posed not quite as nicely to me um, over this over this book tour, and and the question has been, who are you, a, a pediatric? Otolaryngologist, ear, nose, and throat specialist. Who are you to write a book about general health issues such as diet and exercise and nutrition and 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 supplements? What do you know about that? Because you're such a, a sub sub specialist. And it, you know, but I'm also a doctor, a doctor first before my subspecialty, and and even before that, I'm a person who lives in society. I am a mother. I am a Daughter, I am a wife, I am a sister, I'm all these things that that we have, I'm a friend. So we as a society are exposed to so much health information on a rapid fire basis. And and even as doctors, it's it's oftentimes hard to decipher what's real, what's fake, what's somewhere in between. We're always getting new information, and a lot of it is good and real, but it's overwhelming and, and so much of it is exaggerated and not the case. And I work with families and oftentimes I get asked other medical questions of families, whether it's about their child or about themselves as parents. And and sometimes I feel like my head is spinning because I'm not sure what the answers are. And sometimes I'm not even sure what the questions are, or where they're coming from, because with so many of these questions are just out of this world. And I really felt that it was time to learn about all this information first, and then to share the information with with the general public in a way that would be understandable to anyone, especially if they're not in
0: healthcare. I really like that you selected as a title for the book, Hype, because I agree with you 100% that the amount of information that's now readily available to the general public about healthcare is orders of magnitude greater than it was when you were in training when I was in training greater than five years ago. But I think the choice of the word hype is really telling because so much of what people come to physicians like yourself, like myself, like our colleagues is when something comes with the rocket fuel of the hype machine. And we've talked about hype in medicine on the show before. I had Bob Walker on and- Couple of years ago, when we talked about it, and he's the department chair for internal medicine at UCSF. I had Christina Farr from MSNBC. We were talking about Theranos before Theranos, you know, imploded. You chose the word hype to title the book. Was there something that made you lean in that direction? That you could have titled it a lot of other things. Obviously, what was it about hype and medicine that made you put that as the billboard?
1: I think you know, I chose the word hype because it is. I didn't want it to sound like everything is wrong. I think people, when they say, "Oh, that's fake," I mean, fake is obviously the new the word of of the year. That the is a of highly the, of charged the word.
0: Yeah, that is a highly right. charged and, word.
1: But and I think that that means something, and that's that's not what I wanted to imply in the in using the word hype. And I think that is to say that there's so much exaggeration and and that's why you know in the subtitle I use the word exaggerated yeah. because it that's really what hype is it's something that's exaggerated it's not necessarily right or wrong it's just that it is extremely overblown and so much of what we're hearing whether it's really good or really bad is hype it's just it's just news and it gets overblown depending on who's saying it who's selling it And, and, you know, but it's very enticing and, and hype sells, frankly.
0: You Uh, did a nice job with that because the cover of the book too, I remember when I first saw it on the cover of the book is a, a beautiful leaf of kale. And Mm -hmm. five years ago, I didn't know kale from a blade of grass. And I I'm serious. The day that I saw your book cover, I had eaten a kale salad and thought, Oh, how delicious. And how healthy am I being? And then I saw your book. like, Oh, for goodness (laughs) sake, sake. what am I doing? (laughs) So, right. it's
1: a beautiful piece of kale.
0: I especially. mean, look, I'll, I'm probably going to have a kale salad again tomorrow. We are, we, we, we are too. where we are with kale good. at this stage. <laughs> it's all
1: good, but you don't need to eat a bucket of kale and and you know pulverize it down to a juice and have That's you right. know 15 pounds of kale for lunch. <laughs> so yes, we, kale we, in moderation is. I wonder good. if but too much a- kale is hype.
0: I bet you there's a kale podcast out there. There's probably someone doing you know, the the kale deep dive. How to use your Vitamix? How to cake, bake it into cakes?
1: Kale everything. I've seen the sweatshirt kale. I don't know if you've seen that sweatshirt instead of Yale. It's it's the same oh, same no. typeface as Yale College, but it says kale. If
0: somebody so does that, if somebody that does point. that with UCLA, you and I need to to to, to put a stop to this because that's just a bit much. <laughs> but no, let's let's get back to the way you've constructed this book and the way you've put it forward. It's clearly been very deliberate, right? We're not trying to to burn people's hypotheses to the ground. We're not trying to say that physicians know everything and everybody else is dumb. We're trying to have rational conversations about topics that are important to our patients. And I think that one of the things that you've done very nicely here, and I think physicians can continue to probably get better at, is addressing these subjects while being able to remove maybe a perceived level of condescension. Or a, a, a prejudice that right from default, your idea is stupid and I don't want to hear it. Or so th- There's a whole milieu of this sort of stuff. H- how did that kind of framing, how did that kind of thought process around, I want people to read this book where they feel like I am genuinely interested in their question and we'll try to find a solution as opposed to, oh my God, you're asking me about kale. You're an idiot. There's, you know what I mean? There's a spectrum there. How did you work through that?
1: So I think, you know, one of the, ways I wanted to approach it is that everything is a conversation. And if yeah. you just shut somebody's idea down, then 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 the conversation is over and there is no dialogue going on. And to say that, oh, you're stupid because you eat so much kale or you're stupid because you don't vaccinate your child, that is completely pointless and it's not going to get anybody anywhere. And it's not going to enable any sort of progress as far as people understanding so I really wanted to create the scene in the book as if I'm talking to a friend or a family member where well let's see where is this coming from why do you think that this is good or bad for you what makes you say that where did you hear that where did you learn that and then to really understand because there are two sides to a story you know I, I bring up facts Because it's a very heated issue and it continues to be a really volatile subject. But the reality is there are vaccine related injuries to say that vaccines are 100% safe and you're an idiot to not be worried about it is wrong and it's it's the wrong approach and it's also not correct. So, I think with anything that we're talking about whether it's vaccines or diet or supplements or exercise or how you do a Google search, it it needs to be you have to look at both sides. Even if you as a person know that one side is more correct or safer or healthier, there is another side to, to everything.
0: So, you you've identified that central tension because when we talk about, you know, hype with the newest Apple device, Right. If you use it, yeah, it doesn't work. You may not, you may have spent some money. And I remember Christina Farr and I had this conversation, right? In, in healthcare with some of these things, there's a potential for harm. And, you know, our, our, our oath is do no harm. First, do no harm. And so on that vaccine issue, right? There is a central tension there where if we're talking about kale or something, right? We laugh about it. That's one thing, but we're, we're, we're talking about things where there is a good evidence base and you've had the rational conversation about risks and benefits. There is a clear path forward of, of what is the right thing to do for individuals and for a population or any of these subjects or, you know, a new procedure, a new medication, things like that. If, if you don't keep that in mind of when people want to go on with the latest and the greatest that's when there's that potential for harm and and that's where especially like with digital technology and things like that the, that concern comes up
1: yes that has to be discussed with families because they do, you know, and I and I try to approach this in the book is that, yes, it is reasonable to be worried about certain things and to worry about harm. Um, kale can actually do some damage if you it can cause some thyroid problems, by the way, <laughs> if you eat too much kale. Um, but, you know, certainly not as, as dangerous as some other, you know, medical procedures or medications that people are worried about. But, um, you know, I think it has to be Discuss so people really understand the implications of choosing to do a treatment or choosing not to do a treatment. And I think that's the other thing. People have the notion that doing something, whether it's surgical or medical, is more aggressive than not doing something or doing something quote-unquote natural. And I think that's also been a big area of debate is that I don't want to do conventional medication. I want to do alternative or, or natural or homeopathic or whatever word you want to use. And that is sort of this false notion that it's safer and that it's, it's not from this medical industry, this behemoth um, scientific group that's trying to sort of trick the patient's that if people are sort of steering away from it and making their own decisions, that it's somehow healthier or safer. And unfortunately, we lose a lot of credibility when we can't have a discussion with a family patient and explain you know, the science behind a lot of the things that we do.
0: That's where I think there is a real value in looking at that crossover. When you're on your book tour and you're talking about your book, Versus in the office discussing, you know, a base of skull procedure for some sort of malignancy versus not, people are going to have very different opinions, emotions, priorities if they're at a coffee shop hearing you talk about your book versus in the office discussing, you know, PET scan findings, MRI findings, tumor board discussion, and a potential operative plan. How do you navigate those two roads? Is it the same skill set? If it's somebody – if you're having an argument with someone about whether they should not vaccinate their children and you're getting progressively frustrated because you feel like they're not going to vaccinate their kids and that's dangerous versus you're in the office with a family. They've come to you specially because you're Dr. Shapiro. You're at UCLA. You have access to the greatest technology. You've got 20 years of experience you're going to guide them through a decision that's going to affect the life of their child because they have some sort of malignancy that may or may not need surgery. Is the skill set the same? Is the nuance the same or are the skill sets separate and physicians need to be equipped separately?
1: That's a great question. I actually think in many ways the skill set is The same or certainly very similar. So on my book tour, you know, when I give it, you know, again, it depends on the on the audience and the venue and and what sort of angle they're interested in or, you know, what what sort of topic is sort of being focused on because it's a health book and because I'm a doctor, the questions become very personal the questions are well when i took this medication this is what happened to me when my friend's child had this vaccine this is what happened to them how do you explain it so they are usually the questions if you go on a medical book tour are going to be medical and specific and personal so it is almost like sitting in the audience sitting in the office but there's an audience and i think the discussion has to be a similar type of discussion But unfortunately, we're usually, you know, with with a large crowd with several several questions. But but I think the skill set has to be the same. You can't say, well, that can't be or that's that's impossible. Or how could that have happened? Or it must be some mistake. You have to you have to hear them out. You have to see what's going on. And oftentimes there is. A true problem that happened, and I think people just because it happened to them or it happened to a friend of theirs, they think that that's that's the whole that's the whole picture and that's the whole story. Um, but you know, when I put things in per- into perspective and say, well, you know, yes, this is horrible, this is tragic, but millions and millions of other people didn't have this experience, and that's really how we have to look at things when we talk about medicine and data and and you know how we sort of come to these evidence-based recommendations then you know that sort of broadens the discussion a little bit but i think also you know discussing with families it it's not it's not me against them it's it's we're all in this together we're all there fighting the disease we're not fighting each other and yes there has to be a dialogue but it shouldn't be just you know the doctor against the
0: patient so that's the central tension which you were just saying right that sense of me against them in the hospital i will frequently have interactions where i can sense that patients feel that they are at, at they are at opposition with what is happening in the hospital and we have to take very specific steps from a communication standpoint from a body language standpoint from an affect standpoint to try to reverse that to help them understand hey We are here working together. Let's figure out what our shared goals are and let's construct a rational plan to try to meet those goals as opposed to this is what I want. You have to do it, doctor, or this is what I want, patient, and you have to do it. It's tough. It's tough work and you're doing it in a pressure-packed environment. If you have two people sitting in front of you, one of them is a member of the public who just came from your book tour and one of them is one of your fellows. It's someone that you're about to send out in the world to go do pediatric otolaryngology What tools would you want them to be equipped with so that they could communicate their needs around healthcare, their needs around goal setting, their needs around, hey, here's what your studies show and here's what I recommend surgically and hey, here's what my concerns about that are. What would you want those two people to be equipped with to have that rational conversation when the stakes are at the very highest?
1: Well I think for both for both individuals I think they need to understand that just as you were saying we are here as a team to take care of the individual patient and the problem that is causing the individual patient to be there, to have a problem. Um, If it's a chronic problem, that has to be addressed one way as far as developing a relationship and a long-term relationship. Uh, Because of what I do, I take care of patients from newborn until age 21. So some of my patients I've known for their entire childhood and develop that relationship and understanding with the family. And that could be a challenge in and of itself versus an acute problem where there's a life-threatening emergency. But I think for fellows going out and, and trainees going out into medicine, they need to understand that it is very different, even from when they were in college, as far as what health information families now come equipped with. And, you know, not to talk at patients and not to talk down to patients that patients are very educated and are very savvy on on medical issues and to really approach it in a you know team ba- based notion as opposed to I'm the doctor and you're the patient and this is what you will do because I, and it, is, it is so because I say it is right. that I think that uh, it, it's really, it's harmful and, and you will lose relationships uh, with patients that way very quickly.
0: Uh, and you can't emphasize the very quickly. I mean, you can see the doors close if that's a mishandle, right? If that, if that communication is mishandled, that's it. Yeah. Um, you're, yeah. You're in service recovery mode and it's going to be a long haul. How long yes. was your book tour? How long were you out there on the road? talking about the book, meeting people, engaging. I mean, I'm sure you're still doing it now, but how long was mm-hmm. that sort of full throttle engagement?
1: So the full throttle, so the book came out May 1st, 2018. So now we're about, today it's about six months out. So it's it was obviously full throttle <clears throat> it lent late April uh, through the summer. And then now there's still some events, uh, you know, local events and uh, and some travel coming up over the winter. So it'll be a full year of book events and travel. And because the nature of the material is so dynamic, yeah. there's always something else to be, yeah. to be talking about. So I'm still writing about issues that come up. There, there are current issues in the news that come out daily, weekly that, that need to be approached, whether it's hype or, you know, hype adjacent related to health. Um, you know, there was this, you know, flurry of social media response to the NRA's response to a to a medical article this past week. So, you know, obviously that that comes out as something that needs to be to be discussed. So because of the nature of the material, there's always gonna be something else that needs to be discussed, you know, in in various formats, whether it's as a as a talk or as something I write or 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 you know, vocal or or on television. So. So, So with a it's, it's a month, continuous process.
0: Yeah. So with that six month sample size, right, what have been what are the things that you're asked about the most? What are the given that there's going to be some dynamism, given that you're going to get some new pings coming from right and left field, depending on what people saw on social media, what what have been the themes where you say, you know what, if I'm going to write. If I'm going to do an epilogue, or I'm going to write another version of this book, I need to add something, or there's something that's that I that I need to revise, or something that there's a real interest in. What would you say those things have been? Given that you've probably been in front of you know several thousand people around the country at this stage, what would you say those kind of resonant themes are?
1: Okay, so you looked at the book cover and you said, "Yum, kale." <laughs> So <laughs> maybe
0: not so much yum, but I said, yeah, kale. All right.
1: Oh, kale. I just ate some kale. <laughs> right. And that has been, not kale, but the the overriding yeah. interest and question and dialogue during the tour has been about diet.
0: I bet you know Everyone more about wants- keto than, than since you <laughs> we were in biochemistry
1: exactly everyone wants to know about the keto diet or the paleo or gluten-free or gmos or organic so um you know that the the interest is in food people want to know about what to eat how much to eat people are fascinated with diet yeah so that has been really the and people will always come back to that even if it's Related to a medical issue, I'm a diabetic and fill in a blank or I can't eat gluten fill in the blank My child has celiac fill in the blank So people are very interested in eating and very interested in food
0: when you circle back then right? You're at one of the largest Institutions of medicine in the world at UCLA Is there harvesting of that is there an interest in saying Nina you've been out there? You know, you've been out there, you know shaking hands and kissing babies and, and hearing these questions what was the priority are you able to circle back and say hey you know dean dean of the school of medicine hey faculty <laughs> the people want to know about nutrition we need to be training our medical students our residents and our fellows they are going to need to be prepared i don't care what specialty they're in if it says md after their name that they're, they're getting they're going to get asked about diet and nutrition are we equipping the next generations to answer those questions
1: you know, unfortunately we're not. Yeah. And and that is a really important point especially in primary care but also really in any specialty as you said yeah. whether it's a surgical specialty, medical specialty, certainly pediatric specialty yeah. Yeah. where we're seeing so much childhood obesity that there is minimal training in nutrition. And, you know, this has also been asked of me during at the book tour, you know, you as doctors don't learn enough about nutrition in medical school. Even we learn it on a biochemical level. We learn it maybe in pharmacology and, you know, physiology on a very, very basic level. But we don't really learn about the habits of people and, and what good and what bad that can do to our bodies, so, I think that it is it was a bit of a wake-up call for me because I'm not trained in nutrition. I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a dietitian. Um, and but the questions that were asked of me were about diet. and I think it's a really important piece of information for medical school or even before medical school, college high school, they don't learn anything about nutrition, that, you know, they just, the, uh, the high school kids get upset if they take out potato chips from the, from the vending machines, but they don't really learn about the, the understanding of that on a, on a very basic level. So I think that, you know, even from medical school and residency training, fellowship training, it has to start earlier than that, because by then it's, it's almost too late.
0: And the, I, I agree. And I think there needs to be just that layer two of, As your book addresses, right, there's always hype that comes with these things. And I'll remember for the rest of my career, the patient that many years ago I admitted to the hospital who presented to the ER with headaches, and he was a little confused, and he was really weak. And he was an older guy who lived by himself, and his salt level in his blood was 119, and Mm -hmm. you know six months before it had been normal, he didn't take any medications. And as it turned out, he had seen on television that a diet of avocado and distilled water was good for your health. So he had mm-hmm. been eating bags of avocados from Costco and drinking distilled water and almost ended up going to the intensive care unit. And when we talked about it and we said, look, these are some perfectly reasonable to drink plenty of water, perfectly reasonable to eat avocados, but we need to make sure that you're taking a balanced diet and that there's someone checking with you and that you're you know talking about this sort of thing with your physician so that you're not following something that he saw on TV, right? These things can cause harm.
1: All right. And it's all extreme.
0: Yeah, avocados
1: are certainly fine for you. Distilled water plus minus wouldn't be my first choice. No, but it's just the you know to the exclusion of anything else. I think people take that very literally when they say, "Oh, this is good for you." That's all I want. All I'm going to eat. You know, that's that's where people run into trouble. That's
0: right. That's right. So we talked about right that what you were asked about the most. Was there something you were, you've been waiting to get asked about having written the book that nobody picked up on? Was there a subtext or did you drop some, some Easter eggs in the book that you're waiting for some sleuth to say, ah, I know what you're, what you're talking about here. And I want to ask you about it. Were there any things that you put out in the book or any things that have come up that you were hoping someone was going to catch and was going to, was going to bring up with you?
1: Well, you know, I I put in a a, a fair amount of what goes on in the operating room, and uh, those of my nursing staff and and scrub techs who have read the book, you know, they laugh because they, they see, you know, they're seeing what they read, and they said, yep, that's what you do, that's how it is, you really described it, you know, I remember those socks you wear, or I remember the way you dictate. And I was a little surprised that people weren't asking about what goes on, you know, in emergencies and surgeries and all that sort of, you know, blood and guts, you know, medical stuff that people seem to be so interested in because they love those medical shows and, you know, medical documentaries on television. But there wasn't a whole lot about asking about what I do every day, which is kind of interesting.
0: I'm I'm delighted that that was the question because I wanted to ask you about that. Pediatric otolaryngology, you're still in the operating room. How many days of the week are you in the OR?
1: So I'm in the OR two days a week, unless there's an emergency, and then it's more. And I see patients three days a week. So it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty clinically heavy uh, schedule. And, you know, we take care of a lot of healthy kids who right. just have one problem, you know, ear infections, they need ear tubes or right. you know, hearing loss, ear tubes, snoring, sleep apnea, they need tonsils and adenoids. And, you know, then we have the, the life-threatening stuff, yeah. you know, the foreign body aspirations and upper airway obstruction, trachs, things like that. So. And you have um, medical you know, students and residents and fellows
0: thing. and the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, the whole thing. So yeah.
0: when you're at UCLA and someone says, this is the issue that you need to go see Dr. Shapiro at UCLA for, because she and her operative team are the ones that you want to handle it. What would you say that niche would be for you and your team?
1: Uh, airway, I airway. would say, you know, airway, airway, airway. That's, that's really what we have a great otology, neurotology uh, division in our department here. And so they are really, you know, the ear gurus for the more complex ear stuff. Um, but, you know, the pediatric ENTs are, you know, and we have a great pediatric anesthesia uh, division here. You know, we are, you know, pretty much the airway, the gurus of, uh, of Los Angeles.
0: If you could so. prioritize all the things that you like to do, where would being in the OR be?
1: Yeah, being in the hour is kinda of like being on the playing field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, the rest is benched.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise
1: it's penalty. Clinic is a penalty box, not the school. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's why I'm a hospitalist. That's right. <laughs> that's
1: right. Exactly. Right. I mean, we joke, you know, you have to play, you have to be in the penalty box if you want to play. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we kind of think of it, you know, going to the OR is kind of like jumping in the swimming pool yeah, when yeah. you have that. You know, if you're if you're a swimmer and you're going to a, a three hour swim meet and you have your 100 yard race for a minute or so, uh, you know, that's going to the OR.
0: It's your swim race. It's interesting. That's where the fun is. It's interesting that those two pieces of feedback that you got were, uh, well, one of them, I guess, wasn't direct feedback, but it was interesting for you. They're not asking about what you do, but at the same time, they're identifying, why are you the one talking to us about this? Because of what you do, you're a pediatric otolaryngologist. And it's funny, I do want to just circle back on something that you mentioned. When you said that at the top of the show, that people were asking, why are you the one talking to me about this? You're a pediatric otolaryngologist. The first thing that popped in my mind was stay in your lane. And that was obviously a very (laughs) germane subject yesterday because, as you pointed out, the National Rifle Association decided to come at the profession of medicine and and instructing us to stay in our lane around gun violence in the United States. And you and I had just a brief interaction on social media about that. Uh, Walk me through your emotion when you saw the National Rifle Association telling physicians, you're a pediatric otolaryngologist. I would imagine you see the sequelae of trauma, especially with your mastery of airway management, such as anyone can master anything to do with the human body. My reaction was a visceral one. Talk me through yours.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was be, it was beyond anger. I mean, part of it was what they said that you know they called us self-important or self-serving doctors, and and you know made this kind of funny kind of illustration of a so-called doctor um, looking skeptical at a book. Um, It also happened to come out on the heels of several mass shootings in, in, you know, a matter of a week, one in Pittsburgh and one here in Thousand Oaks, California, uh, you know, to say something like that when people are literally dying daily from these mass shootings and then to say that doctors don't know what they're talking about and we're the ones who are treating these people that do survive these mass shootings and come into the operating room or the emergency room or or hospitalized and and you know it was it was beyond offensive i think that you know we are here to help the public when it comes to any sort of social behavior that will affect health for instance cigarette smoking drunk driving drowsy driving food safety we can the noon drowning risks. These are all social issues that are run by companies for the most part, but they are medical issues. And gun safety is a medical issue. And, you know, they talk about domestic violence history, and people shouldn't be buying guns, alcohol abusers shouldn't be buying guns. So these are medical problems that they are turning into just a business. And I think most people Reaction, whether you, doctors especially, was this visceral disgust with How dare you? How dare you say something like that?
0: I I was heartened by what I saw on social media from the physicians that I follow. Uh, I, I I shared your reaction. I it wasn't so much a sense for me, I guess, of feeling disgusted. It was just I, I was furious. I, I was so angry um, because it's so dismissive. Of not just the issue at hand, but the way that we try to literally and figuratively put fingers in holes of this social problem, and the people that do that, and it's not—they're not just tagging; they're not just going after physicians, right? That's because we don't do this work by ourselves. It's physicians, it's nurses, it's nurse anesthetists, it's the phlebotomists, it's the respiratory therapists who help manage the anybody
1: health. in healthcare. That's yeah. correct,
0: and it's—it's it's, it's just an affront. But I guess my hope with this, right? You and I could rail about this on this podcast for an hour. I guess the hope that is that people. Don't divide over it, that we're able to recognize that, look, there is a huge cohort of of people who say this is a problem. We are in this together and it's going to take ongoing momentum to to facilitate change. What I noticed in that wave on social media is very mutually supportive voices, very rational voices. It wasn't you are evil people. It was, hey, this is what we actually do. We're hurt by what you're saying, but this is the reality of what we do, and we're going to keep doing it, and we're going to work for change. But in the meantime, we're here when you need us.
1: Right. We will still treat them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: As patients, and hopefully not as gunshot victims. Well, there was um, a,
0: there was a fantastic editorial from a nurse in Pittsburgh who uh, was taking care of oh, victims I, of the I gunshot. You yeah. saw it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 tough, but it's it's what you do. It's what you do. Right, right. As you continue on, you're going to continue to be that forward-facing physician. You're hopefully going to continue to be on TV, in the press, hopefully writing more books, giving talks. What do you want that road forward to look like? As your book tour wraps up and you know life maybe settles down to some sort of homeostasis before you write your next book or whatever the case may be, as people think about this subject of the information that they're digesting about healthcare all of the stuff that flows at them tv media social media whatever the case may be what do you want that momentum that comes from your book from what you've learned from what you're going to keep doing what do you want that future road to look like
1: well i think you know the this the goal of the book and hopefully it will you know spur some interest is that it's not again it's not to say you're wrong this is right it's really to Open people's minds to evaluate any information a little more skeptically, and whether it's about healthcare or really anything else—something in politics, something, you know, anything newsworthy. Certainly, science news. To to not sell yourself short if you're not in that field, to be able to learn a little bit about the information that you're getting, to dig a little bit deeper. And to sort of give yourself a little more credit that if you're hearing something, you can look into it. Is that really the case? Is it, is it true what I'm hearing? Where, where is the sort of soft spot? Where is the sort of weak spot in the story? And, and I think people just need to understand that when they're getting so much information, it is overwhelming on our phones and everywhere else, that not everything is what it says it is. It's not that simple. And just because you, you hear a soundbite or you, you read a little, uh, a, an article title about anything, not even necessarily healthcare, that it's not always, things are not always as they seem. And, and I think more and more as technology gets more and more advanced and as our ability to access information becomes more and more rapid, we need to be able to assess all the information coming at us.
0: As people hear this and they're going to say, I want to see that picture of that beautiful leaf of kale. I want to read this book. Where do we find you? Where do we find you on social media and where do we find the book?
1: So I am on uh, Twitter, uh, Dr. Nina Shapiro. I'm on Facebook, Dr. Nina Shapiro. Uh, the book Hype is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, hopefully your local bookstore, um, hopefully even your local library. I think you know some people have found some interest in the book uh, from taking it out of the library. It's on Kindle. It's also an audio book. So if you want to listen to me for 10 and a half hours, you can, because <laughs> it is me doing the audio book. It actually is That must um, awesome. have been fun,
0: audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> That must Quite have been an great. experience. I'll yeah. In yeah. a sound booth for <laughs> 10 and a half hours. My goodness.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it, that was an experience. Yeah, I can
0: imagine. Well, this has yeah. also been an experience. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute treat to talk with a Dr. Shapiro, uh, especially one at UCLA, but the book is, is it's fascinating stuff. This is a conversation, right? We're at the dawn of a new way that we communicate with patients and their facility with the challenges that bef- that that face them and the information that they can access. So we're just starting on this work. It's 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 great that you've put yourself out there to tackle it, and it's going to be really fun to see what comes next. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank
1: you. This is a lot of fun.